Hello and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. That was a big introduction, so there's no pressure at all. Also, it's it's great to be called young. That is fantastic. See, my wife's five years younger than me, so she's always calling me old. And uh, my entire congregation is under 35, and I'm almost 40. So I'm old all the time. And then I come here and I'm young. So I know I am home now. This is home. I'm making this home. This is where I'm young. Yeah. It's, good to, it's good to be here today. This has been fantastic so far. This is exciting. I remember when I got the WhatsApp uh, newsletter and I saw your mission statement to see people set free. I saw people set free this morning. I saw people set free this morning. It was powerful and it was exciting. And you guys carry something like that because you can go to a lot of churches and experience a lot of worship and you can experience a lot of discomfort. I didn't experience that this morning. I was even dancing. And, and, and I don't dance. I don't like how my body moves. I am long. I am lanky. I go in all directions. But I was dancing with you all this morning. My wife will not believe it. Now, I'm alone with my kids today because my wife is the uh, national director for the youth workers across the country for the ACUK. So she's in Scotland this weekend and has left me with the children. So I'm here on my own, but she's going to want to come. She's going to want to come and and, and be here. We'll be back. Um, So I'm from Australia. I'm from Melbourne. Uh, My wife and I have been married 15 years. Uh, we had our first child, Elijah, 10 years into our marriage. He is a miracle child. So maybe next time I'll come and tell you about that journey. But uh, we've got two children. Um, so we've been married 10 years uh, and um, it was going well. I'm just giving how I ended up here in a nutshell. Uh, we had Elijah who we waited 10 years for and we lived within like walking distance of all of her family, walking distance of all of my family. I was the director of a Bible college and Everything was perfect, and God said, sell everything you own and move to Liverpool. So we sold everything we owned five years ago, except for four suitcases and our one-year-old, and turned up to Liverpool City Centre June 2017. And all we had was an apartment. We knew nobody. We had just joined the apostolic movement in the UK because they were the only movement crazy enough to listen to our ideas. And they, they had this, this belief that they needed to... Ch- they, so the ACUK forgot how to plant churches. It, it, see, because it was so passionate about the Welsh revival that it stopped looking forward and started looking backwards. But the Welsh revival happened because a whole lot of people were looking forward. So if you start looking backwards, you're, you're going to miss the fact that they were looking forward. And so instead of advancing across the UK what, like we were supposed to, we started holding on and standing still. And so Tim Jack, who's preached here before, he got brought over from Australia to try to spark that movement in the ACUK again. And we got dragged over. They said, plan a church in the city center of Liverpool. 
And so my wife and I just turned up, we got an apartment, we didn't know anyone, and we just started a church, because that's what you do. So we looked around, and we live in the Rope Walks. I don't know if you guys know the city center, but like we live on Duke Street, like 10 steps from John Lewis. We're right in the middle of the Rope Walks, and the Rope Walks is full of young professionals, students, and a whole lot of people celebrating stag dues and hens dues every weekend. And so we got an apartment, we looked around, and we saw all these young people. And in Australia, when you finish school, you turn at, you're 18. We say in Australia, from 18 to 21, you lose your mind. And so in Australia, you don't move away to study. You live with your parents and you catch a train because you've lost your mind. You're 18. Over here, their children turn 18. They send them to another city and say, fend for yourself. That seems crazy. So Rachel and I went, that's, that, that's where we can start. In the middle of the rope walks, Rachel and I can open our home and be mum and dad away from home because we're not buddies, we got kids, but we're stability. So we just started opening our home to the students in the rope walks and tried to be mum and dad away from home. So when your washing machine broke, come see us. When you got locked out of your house, come see us. When you wanna feed because you're sick of eating pot noodles, we'll show you what veggies look like. Yep. So in the year before the pandemic, we fed 200 different people at our house throughout that year. So that ended up becoming a congregation of about 30 young people, mostly new to Jesus, trying to figure out Jesus for themselves. And we started meeting in the brink on Par Street, which is next to Almost Famous for those who like burgers and next to Crazy Pedro's for those who like pizza. And for anyone over 40, none of those buildings will make any sense to you. But um, so that's, that's our story in a nutshell. So we're planning a church in the city center um, of Liverpool, just trying to start something from nothing and trying to figure out how to reach this generation with, with the gospel. And I heard you guys mention before, we're believing for revival. It's happening. Can you see it starting to, to happen? You see, I think revival is going to happen and the church is going to miss it. See, because there's a generation screaming about the environment. Whose environment is it? There's a generation screaming about God's creation. Let's, let's show them the creator. Because they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna end up knowing the creator and never knowing the father. So there's a generation screaming about creation. Let's show them the creator who is the father. There's a generation screaming about people's rights, about social justice, about love. Let's show them true love according to the Bible. There's a generation that just went through a pandemic and suffered through isolation and is desperate for community. Let's show them that radical family from Acts 242 to 47. Revival is starting to happen. We better not miss it. And so the reason I say that is because I've been around the country a lot with my role as the church planning director. We're planning a church in Canterbury, in Shoreditch, in Bristol at the moment. And you know what's been really annoying to me is everyone's coming back together. But I hear restart church. Church is restarting. The pandemic's over. We're restarting. Why are you restarting? When did you stop? When do we stop? 
We had a global pandemic where people were suffering and we're restarting church now. We should never have stopped. And so it's, it's been stirring me that all these people have this attitude that now we can gather again. It's happening. It should have been happening all along. We are the church. We needed to be the church in the pandemic, and we need to be the church now. So it's great that we can gather again, and this morning is amazing. But we're facing uncertainty. We don't know what the months ahead are going to look like. We don't know what the years ahead are going to look like. They said there's not going to be another lockdown, but we don't know if that's true because they said that before. So this could be gone again. But as we walk into this uncertainty, we walk in the certainty of who he is. And so we need to be prepared to continue to move in the certainty of who he is, what we believe, where we put our faith, because we are walking into an uncertain world. And an uncertain world needs people of certainty, his certainty. So I just thought, and so much has been said this morning, I don't know what I can add, but I really just felt if we're, if we're gathering again and we're looking at a world that's ripe for revival, let's look at the Great Commission this morning. It's a, it's a great passage. We probably all know it off by heart, right? In Matthew 28, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given for me, therefore... Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, for I am with you always. The Great Commission. We know that. This is one of those commands that Jesus gave us that was meant to shape the way we follow him. These are one of the commands. But because it says, go and make disciples of all nations, we tend to make it the missionary verse because it says all nations and it says go. So we, we use it to, as a reason to send people. But then that negates our everyday responsibility to make disciples. And so to understand this verse is to understand the verses that it's sandwiched in. So to understand what it means to go and make disciples, we need to understand what follows. It's the instructions. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the command involves introducing people to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it also means if you're a disciple, you better know the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get this. This is basic stuff. As I said, we've heard this verse a hundred times. And then it says, we've got to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, if we're going to teach them to obey, we need to be moving in that obedience ourselves, right? So there's not anything extra to be gleaned from that part that we don't already know. But what I was looking at that I've never really thought about before was the therefore. So it says, therefore, go. So if the command is to go and make disciples of all nations, if it says, therefore, then that command is hinging on what comes before it, which is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So it comes down to this word authority. Has anyone ever looked at that word and pondered it? I've heard it mentioned a few times in other verses this morning. Authority. This command comes from the fact that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. But what is authority? 
See, authority is something really interesting to understand because authority is the kind of, of thing that creates obedience that is free of persuasion, that's free of pressure and free of argument. People give themselves to authority freely. Authority is not forced upon people. That is a different word. So the important thing to understand about authority is it's not persuasion. So what is authority? What is it? It's the combination of two very important things. Authority is the combination of power and legitimacy. Authority is the combination of power and legitimacy. And that legitimacy word is really important to how we understand the concept of authority and how we understand the concept of this command to go and make disciples of all nations. Think about legitimacy for a minute. Do we remember not long ago, I think maybe what, a month and a half ago, one of our wonderful politicians stepped down. I think he was a health minister. Now, we could say he stepped down because of his actions, but that's not true because if he could have got away with it, he'd still be our politician. He didn't step down because of his actions. He stepped down because this time, these particular actions brought into question the legitimacy of his authority. And if the legitimacy of your authority is brought into question, then you can no longer hold that position of authority. Think of the Pharisees. They liked to exercise their authority, but their legitimacy was in question when they couldn't see the Son of God in front of them. Do we understand the concept of legitimacy here? Because we do not live in a dictatorship where authority is forced upon us. We give ourselves to the authority, and I say we give ourselves to the authority, maybe I should say, for the most part, we give ourselves to the authority of the leadership of this country because of our faith in the legitimacy of the election process. So that means we don't live in a democracy where it's uh, a dictatorship where it's forced upon us. You need to understand this. Authority without legitimacy is oppression. It's not authority. It's all power, no legitimacy. So if we're thinking about authority, we need to understand that legitimacy is the key. Are we following along? All right, now we're going to go with why. What is the legitimacy of the authority that Jesus is talking about in this passage? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what is the legitimacy of that authority? It's God, the creator of all things and the Father in heaven. And he has given this authority to Jesus because of who he is and what he'd done. Because he is the fulfillment of the law and he died for our sin and he beat the power of sin and death. So we understand the legitimacy of the authority that he is talking about. And Jesus is to use this authority to exercise the purpose of his kingdom come, his will be done. The purpose of all things being reconciled to God through Jesus. So we understand, right? We all understand the legitimacy of the authority that Jesus is talking about. Yeah? Yeah, we do. We do. But why do we? What's the key ingredient that we all share that helps us to believe and understand the legitimacy of the authority that Jesus is talking about? What do we all share that is the key ingredient? 
What is it? No, it's not the Spirit of God. It's faith. Faith is the key ingredient that all of us share that helps us understand the legitimacy of this authority that Jesus is talking about. It's through our faith in who God is. It's through our faith in who Jesus is. And because of that faith, we have chose to repent and put our life under Jesus and submit freely to that authority. And we become followers of him, disciples. But faith is the key ingredient. Our faith is what helps us to understand the legitimacy of the authority that Jesus is talking about in this command. Yes, we understand? Okay. So where's the legitimacy for people who don't have faith? Where's the legitimacy for people who don't have faith? See, because if we're praying for revival, if we're talking about revival, if we're saying we want to see our colleagues, we want to see our family, we want to see our neighbors come to Jesus and live this kingdom out with us, then we need to understand that if it's going to be real to them, it better be real to us. If it's going to be real to them, it better be real to us. Because that's the only thing that's going to shift the legitimacy for them, is if this is something that is real to us, that is, this is something that we are living, we are breathing, that we are thriving in. If it isn't real to us, the rest of the world aren't going to take notice. And the fact that the rest of the world, most of the time, turn their nose up to the church is because we stopped making it real and we started making it really religious. You see, you know why we make things religious? Because it's easier. It's easier to live a faith that involves doing than being. Because when I make my relationship with Jesus about doing, I can compartmentalize my spiritual life to the parts of my life where I do it. And then it doesn't have to have anything else to do with the rest of my life. And that is convenient. That is comfortable. We love to compartmentalize. We love to have a spiritual life over here that's reserved to the things we do. And then we like to have the rest of our life over here. And this distance is convenient. But this is not real. And if this is not real, and this is what the people in our life are seeing, then it's not real for them either. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are by definition an active imagination of what can't be when people give themselves to Jesus and start living in this kingdom. You are an active imagination for everyone in your life. When they look at you, they've got to go, that is not what I am used to seeing. That is not the reality that I hold on to. There is something about these people that completely flaw my understanding of what the world really is. That's the kind of activation we need to be. Because the only way they're going to see the kingdom is when they see the kingdom through you and when they see the kingdom through us, the church, together, which is a bigger active imagination of what the kingdom of God looks like in this world now. You hear what I'm saying? We've been going too long this morning. Like... I feel like I'm losing you guys. If we're sitting here and going, yeah, I know, I do this, I live this, then you're lost. Because that's complacency. 
doesn't matter what level we get to of spirituality or sanctification, we never arrive. We should always be sitting here trying to find something more, something new, something fresh. We should be like in the retirement villages, like praying for revival, going door to door, just breathing life into the people on heaven's step. We should never sit here and say, I've arrived. We should always sit here and go, I've got to keep going. I've got space. I need more. So if we're going to live this, we've got to shift our understanding from doing to being. Who we are, where we are, in Christ. That's very uncomfortable. That means in our workplace, who we are, where we are, in Christ. In our neighborhood, with our neighbors, who we are, where we are, in Christ. To understand this better, let's shift from the Great Commission, which is one command, and shift to another command he gave us. This is the blueprint command of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When he was questioned, what, it, what, is, what is the most important command? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with... Guys, was so much louder before. Do I like? Is there something like? Do I not dress up enough? Like, this is the nicest clothes I own. I spend my life hanging out with people who are between eighteen and thirty. If I looked any nicer than this, it wouldn't work. It's great to spend my life t-shirt, jeans, and a baseball cap. It's the best thing in the world. I'm completely comfortable with forty, surely. The blueprint for following Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love others as you love yourself. There's another command that shapes how we follow Jesus. And did you hear the key in that command? Because I think it's something that we as the church across the globe have not done well. I think we really, really, really want to love God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. I think we really, really want to be people that love others. But I hope the pandemic's exposed one thing. We are lousy at loving ourselves. We're lousy at loving ourselves. We need to be better at loving ourselves. Because how can we love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and completely neglect ourselves? How can we really give ourselves to others if we're completely neglecting ourselves? We need to change the way we think about ourselves. We need to change the way we speak to ourselves or speak about ourselves. We need to understand, like we said earlier, that we are created in the image of God. And if we're created in the image of God, the act of loving ourselves is an act of worship because you're respecting the image of God in you. We need to learn to love ourselves because the world is desperate for people that will take the time to love themselves. And you know why I know that we are not good at loving ourselves anymore? Because when was the last church that talked about the Sabbath? When was the last church that talked about rest? We should all be prioritizing rest in our life on a weekly basis, not to get religious, but because God rested. And if God rested, then he knows you needed it. And if you need it, it means you need it to be able to love yourself. Rest is the single thing that will break you on a weekly basis to God because it's the hardest thing you got to make time for. We need to learn to rest again. You want revival? Rest. 
you've got to submit to God to rest. Because we love to do. You've got to rest. See, we, we talked about Corinthians before, right? The issue with Corinth was immorality. The issue with Athens was knowledge. The issue with Jerusalem was tradition. The issue with Ephesians was idols. But the issue with Corinth was immorality. There was lots of port trade route cities. But what made Corinth special was because it was known as the place where you could have a good time. No, it was known as a place where you could have a real good time. No, it was known as a place where you could do things that you couldn't do anywhere else. That was the reality of Corinth. It reminds me of my rope walks down in the city center where about a thousand people come every Friday just to trash our city and have a good time. But immorality is the loss of value. Now, we think about our moral actions and the way they devalue others. Let me wrap my head around how I got to this. It was a revelation I had. I, um, three years ago, I had an early midlife crisis and decided that I was going to spend all year training to try to make the Liverpool basketball team. And I did. I was 10 years older than the other players, but I made it. I got on the squad. And then three days before a first game, this Welsh lad comes up from Wales, lands on my knee, shreds my meniscus. That's the end of my basketball career. Yeah. But I told him, if you break the pastor's knee, you've got to come to church. He came the next night, got saved, joined my core team, saved six other people before he left Liverpool. Worth a ligament. But I remember walking out of basketball training once and listening to one young guy yell across the car park to another young guy. I can't say this a nicer way, so I'm just going to say it as clean as it is. I'll say it in their words. Are we okay with that? It's going to make you uncomfortable, but it should because it's, it's immorality. He was shouting across the car park about the bird he shagged the night before on his couch. Now, my daughter was in my wife's tummy at that point. I was so angry about the way they were talking about a person and had no regard for that person. I, wanted, I was the old man in the room at that point. I wanted to clip them around the ears. Do you know what I realized in that moment in all that hurt and frustration? How can I expect those men to value that girl if they don't know how to value themselves? See, we go into the world and want to address the way people treat each other. We got to shift the way they treat themselves. We got to shift the way they see themselves. See, immorality thrives when value is taken away. Well, the essence of the gospel is you are worth dying for. There's no greater value than that. And so as believers, if we can't live up to that value that is placed upon us under his grace and righteousness, then what hope does the rest of the world have of grabbing a hold of that value, which is true? You've got to live and treat yourself like you're worth dying for, or the rest of the people in your life aren't going to catch that. Remember, you are an act of imagination of the truth, of the kingdom, of his power. This is part of the revival. We got to help these people understand that they are worth dying for. We got to shift their value because if you shift their value, you'll shift the way they value others. It'll, it'll break it all. But this, what I'm talking about, it's not perfection. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm in Jesus. 
It's not about who I am and what I've done. It's not about who you are and what you've done. It's about who he is and what he's done. So we find our comfort in the shade of his oak tree of righteousness. We come and sit under that again and again, sitting under who he is and what he's done. It doesn't mean we do what we talked about before, where it's like, well, it's about Jesus. I can do what I want. No, because when we find ourselves under that oak tree of righteousness, when we grasp the truth that we're worth dying for, when we really experience grace, we can't help but want it to transform us, but to continue to sanctify us, to change us. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how much of that that we do, we still will come face to face with Jesus when we die, imperfect. And glorification happens because of who he is and what he's done and because we came face to face with him. So we sit under his oak tree of righteousness, knowing that it's about him, but we don't sit under there with complacency. Because God is holy, right? God is holy. And if I'm holy, it's because I'm in God. It's not because I'm holy. So holiness isn't perfection, because that's the other problem the world has with religion, is we run around pretending like we're perfect. We've arrived. We're holy. Well, we're not holy. God's holy. The last people I can remember that in the Bible that were declared holy was Adam and Eve, and then they ate an apple, and they put some clothes on, and they hid. So when they weren't holy, they put something between them and God. See, holiness isn't perfection. Holiness is intimacy. Intimacy to the one who is holy. Like we said before, we got to keep taking things off so that the barriers between us and God fade away so we feel closer, more vulnerable, more intimate, because it's when we're in that space that he stirs us up. It's when we're in that space that he looks at something in us and says, that's going to change. That's going to get pruned. This is going to be uncomfortable. Holiness is intimacy. It's not perfection. If the world is going to see something that's real to you, they need to see something that isn't manufactured, something that isn't fake, something that isn't perfect. They need to see something that is real, something that is intimate, something that is honest. They need to know that you need Jesus as much as they do. Why do we go into the world and tell people how, they, how much they need Jesus and forget to mention we still need him too? We go into the world and we point our finger at particular life choices and say they need Jesus or they're going to hell. Well, guess what? I need Jesus or I'm going to hell. We point at different decisions and say you can't change this without Jesus. Well, guess what? I can't change anything without Jesus. It doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. Now, this is really uncomfortable for me to come and preach like this to a church that I don't know but I really felt like God told me to do this this morning, so you're just going to have to be patient with me because I feel like I'm, I'm bashing you around a bit, and you guys could have already arrived and not need this. So to live this is to be generous, to be consistent, and to be present. The world's desperate for people who are present. We have everything in our life right now trying to take our attention away from what's in front of us. Take us out of the room from the people who are in the room with us. You know, I walked in and I dropped my kids at Kids Church and I thought, you know what, this is the best thing in the world because Kids Church isn't when church is on. Kids Church is before church. So I can walk in now and be kid-free. Come on, parents. Kid-free and hang out with other adults. 
And I walked into the room and there's a whole lot of adults on their phones. Guys, I'm a deprived adult. My wife's been away all weekend. I've been in Kidsville for three days. We are so good at not being present. We are the temple now, though. The Spirit of God dwells in us. There's nothing more present than that. How can we have something of God so present in our being and not be those kind of present people in this world? Come on. The Spirit of God is present right now within each of you. How can we not be people who are present? I tell you what, that's what's made the biggest difference in the rope walks is we've just committed to being present. People turn up to our house all the time. It's never convenient. It's also kind of easy too, because I'm like, well, I got to get Elijah from school. Come with me. Or I've got to feed the kids. Sit down. Like, it's great when my children correct the teenage, well, not the teenagers, the young adults on table manners. That is incredible. We, we need to be present. Look, I tell you what, I, I actually don't know how much time I've taken or how much time I've got, but I'm coming to an end. But can I share just one story? Kid story? Is that all right? We got, we got time for it? All right, and then I'll come to an end, I promise. So the pandemic was approaching. Lockdown was approaching. You guys remember that? It kind of felt like, the, like before a hurricane. Everyone was battering up their shutters, rushing to get food. There was this sense of fear and excitement and all sorts of things all at once. And as pastors, we came up with all these clever ideas of how we were going to manage lockdown. I remember we got business cards printed out because like the benefit for us is we we're going to be knee deep in the neighborhood with everyone else. We didn't have to drive into our church. We, we lived right in the middle of our, our parish. So we were going to live it with all the people around us. But remember, we got business cards and printed them out. And I remember I led the congregation through our, our whole mission at Rope Chapel is God people place. So we had a slide for how we could live out God in the pandemic, a slide for how we could live out our radical family, which is people, and a slide for how we could still stay committed to our place. And it was, it was thought out. It was as strategic as you could get, because that's how good we are as pastors. We are so strategic. But I want to tell you what made the real difference in lockdown. Seven days in the lockdown, I'm sitting in my son's bedroom because Elijah is in tears. He's four, and he can't understand why no one's been in our house for a week. He can't understand why he hasn't been at school. He can't understand why he hasn't seen his friend. He's not crying. He's convulsive crying, like, why can't I see anyone? And we, we have a big George and Terrence, so we have couples live on the top floor who train to be church planners and then go out. So we, we have the other couples up the top floor. Everyone in the house could hear his anguish as he, as a four-year-old, is coming to terms with something that, None of us as adults had a framework for. I mean, no, I don't want to be disrespectful. No one was here for the first pandemic, right? Because you guys, like, you age really well. So <laughs> I don't know. All right. How am I supposed to deal with it? What am I supposed to say? I wanted to cry. It sucked. Like, our house was open. There was always people in. And so, like, Spirit of God, I just, I said to Elijah, who do you miss? And I wrote it down, but he just came up with, like, 30 names. So we wrote them down. And, like, five of them were little friends because he was at little school. He wasn't at primary school yet. So he didn't have a big social circle of his age. The rest were, like, people from our neighborhood, the cleaners from the venue we rent for church, like, just a random eclectic list of people. And I said, Elijah, you know, what do you want to do about this? And you got to remember, I'm from Australia, so... 
because we live away from our family, it's a normal thing in Elijah's mind to write people letters. So he always wants to write letters to Nana and Granddad because, like, they're old. They don't know how to use Facebook. Um, so he said, I want to write letters. So for the first three months of lockdown, every day at lunchtime, we would have a bit of card that I had drawn a stupid picture on the front. And I said, Elijah, tell me the story of this picture. And he'd tell me the story of that picture. And we'd write it down on the inside of the card. And I said, who on the list do you want to give this card to? And he'd, he'd look at someone on the list. And then he'd say, and I'd say, what do you want to say to them? And he'd tell me what he want to say to them. And then we sent them that letter. He wrote two letters a day. And every day at 4.45, he would walk down to the post box, which was about 250 meters from our house, because he knew the postman came at five. So he wanted to say hi to the postman. But he would also start getting ready for his walk at about 3.30 because every day he wanted to wear a different costume. So in case anyone out their window saw him, they would smile or he might be able to meet someone new. We did this every day for three months. Two letters at lunchtime, a costume at 3.30 and a walk to the post office at 4.45. He wrote 30 letters to adults, like students from chapel. He just wrote. One of the stories was an overweight Batman, and he called it Lockdown Batman. Like, these were random stories. One was about an elephant fairy called Alephant. Not Alephant. Her name was Alephant. It was random. But all these people were getting these letters that were just love. And that, that's what he did. And he would pray for them, and he got to know the postman by name, and we met people on the way because he was dressed as costumes. So my strategy was business cards and slides, the four-year-old was, let's write to people and pray. We have an Airbnb next to us. It's an epic one. No one's supposed to stay in them over lockdown, but it was where the party, secret parties were throughout lockdown. And one morning, they threw gas canisters out the window, covered the street. Elijah went out with me and picked it all up with the litter pickers. They looked down at us. They never did it again. But then Elijah decided to start cleaning the streets. So if people looked out their window, it would be clean. Now on Tuesdays after school, he has a cleanup crew with six of the other kids because he told the kids at school and they wanted to pick up rubbish. And so one of the mums came to Rachel and said, your, your son's telling my daughter to pick up rubbish and she's picking up rubbish with her bare hands and I'm not happy about it. And so we brought all the kids, clippers, jackets, and they started a cleanup crew. Every Tuesday, they clean up the city center of Liverpool, six kids and then a mum's chat. Two of those mums now are doing a journey Jesus course with Rachel because of conversations at the cleanup crew. A four-year-old, well, he was five, says, let's clean up the rubbish so the area looks nicer. Mums are forced to talk. The act of imagination, something that was real, something that was different, something that shaped their opinions of their life leads them to go to the mum. How do I find out about Jesus? See, we need to be more like the children of God that we're meant to be and stop overcomplicating this and start simplifying this and actually taking advantage of the situations that are ripe and ready in front of us. It's not hard. It's simple. It's practical. It's powerful. It's generous. It's present. It's consistent. It's about being who we are, where we are in Christ. You know what? I... I my, my brothers, my, my wife's brothers, they, they, they wouldn't talk to God for 10 years because in their mind, 
God stopped them from playing basketball professionally because basketball was on a Sunday and you had to go to church. When I was campus director of the Bible College in Melbourne, every pastor I sat down with, because I was, I was about to have a, a child myself, every pastor I sat down with, I asked, are your kids adults? Yes. Are they in church or not? If they're in church, I asked, why? Do you know what I found out every single time? The pastors who found out what their kids were passionate about and showed them how to live their faith out in it are the pastors whose kids are adults and thriving in church. The ones who disregarded their passions and forced them to be somewhere and disconnected it from a living reality are the ones whose kids aren't in church as adults. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? To live this out, we got to bring everything under God. So if we go back to where we started, it says all authority in heaven and earth was given to me. We understand that that authority means something to us because of our faith. But then it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How about so we can all better understand that we change that to therefore, as you go. So it's not, let's send the ones who have to go Let's understand as all of us go about our business, about our day, to our workplace, to pick up the kids, to the shops, as you go, be a disciple and make disciples. It's really just about finding your sweet spot. It works for us in the city center because we're at a time in our life where we've got young kids. We don't do anything extra. We invite people into our space. The students don't need me to go to a pub and have a beer and pretend like I'm 20 again, they've got plenty of that in their life. What they like is they can come into a family home and be completely snapped out of their reality and walk into a family reality. And I can, on a Thursday night at chapel, I can wear like six sneakers and rip skinny jeans and a real low V-neck top that leaves nothing to imagination and be as hip as I think I'm supposed to be. But when you come into my house, I'm a dorky dad. So why pretend on Thursday? When you come into my house, I'm a dorky dad. I can't be anything more than a dorky dad because I've opened my house. And if I'm comfortable with being who I am, that only allows you to be comfortable with being who you are. And you guys talk about wanting to set people free, want to set the people in your life free, set yourself free to be who you are. Stop pretending, stop trying to be perfect. It's about who he is, who you are. Holiness is intimacy. So sit under that oak tree of righteousness. Who you are, where you are, in Christ. And the last thing about this passage to hold tight to is the very end, where it says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of this age. That promise was first made to Jacob, and it's been carried down generation to generation, generation to you here right now. For I am with you always, wherever you are. Holy Spirit is here. That's why when we all come together, it's really exciting because it's all the here coming together. It's like a hundred times when Mary and the other lady came together and got excited and the baby started dancing inside. It's like a hundred times that. Who you are, where you are in Christ. We want this to be real to the world around us that is craving the things of God. 
then the world needs to see a church where this is real to us. Amen? All right. I better pray. And then I have no idea what you do next. There could be four more sermons, another Bible study, more worship, prayer, two more kids' churches. I don't know. I'm excited, though. It's going to be good, whatever it is. The best thing was the mics all around the room. Like, I, I was like, where is these voices coming from? You know, it was, oh, man, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But, but why not? We, we have chapel on Thursday night. It's 18 to 35-year-olds just trying to wrestle with faith and the reality of the world around them. I don't have a Sunday church. I don't have anything for my family. You're apostolic. I'm apostolic. Why not come back? Come on. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. I'm home. You're going to have to figure out how to get rid of me. That's going to be harder. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are loud when you need to be loud. But you whisper when you really need us to lean in. Lord, stir us up. We are tired. We are hurting. The last year has been tough. Stir us up. Replenish us. Heal us. Ignite us. But let us not lose sight of what's real, which is you. Let us not lose sight of who you are and what you've done. Let us not lose sight of the value that you have placed on our life, Lord Jesus. And let us freely give ourselves to this authority that is real, that is powerful, that is eternal. Thank you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.